Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I forgot my own name. <laughs> I was waiting with bated breath. Me too. I was like, who am I, I talking like, to? Who, what? Uh, um, I'm Solange Knowles. Uh, I'm, I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Drew Barrymore. <laughs> We should start doing fake names at the beginning of every episode. <laughs> uh, and I'm what the French call les incompetents. Oh my god! Oh my god! Hi, Anne Friedman. <laughs> Hi, Aminatu. So, uh, it's been a long year. It's been a long year. <laughs> it's been a long year. Like, truly, truly, truly. Uh, okay, moving on. What are we talking about today? The fact that the year is done, done, done. <laughs> like, the year was done for me in August, if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> the, cal- the calendar is finally catching up with my reality. Oh, always ahead of the game. Too far ahead. Oh, my God. It's been like a good, interesting year here at CYG. (laughs) I I sound like somebody who's about to give a work evaluation. You sound like this is the beginning of the corporate annual report. Like, we have made great strides in 2017. (laughs) Too proud of your work. The world seems like it's on fire. And, like, my personal life seems like it's on fire. But also, it's like every year, some good, some bad. I mean, the state of California is actually on fire, so, well, yeah. Y'all's little president doesn't take global warming seriously, so let me tell you, it's going to be real. Yeah. I love, I love the fantasy in the last few weeks of a year that, like, we can really leave things in, in the past. Like, there's sort of a mostly wishful thinking, but being like, no, no, we're leaving this horrible presidency and, like, unchecked climate change and all these other things <laughs> like in we're leaving those in 2017 like we wake up on January 1st and we are not in fact like hungover and watching planet earth reruns and getting stoned no no like like it's a whole new world it's such a it's like a collective fantasy yeah it's uh it's ludicrous let's talk about some highlights what were like CYG collective like highlights yeah. Okay. Wow. What happened? What happened in CYG world this year? Like, I mean, we did a lot of good work. Like, that's the other thing. I know this year was bad in a lot of ways, but like, we had some incredible guests. First of all, yeah, we had uh, Her Highness Hillary Clinton on this very podcast. We had uh, Her Highness Margaret Atwood on this podcast. We had Her Highness Ellen Powell on this podcast. Her <laughs> Highness Chris Krause on this podcast. Can you tell I'm watching The Crown? <laughs> and I don't know how you're supposed to address royalty. Honorifics uh, only. Yeah. Like her greatness, her excellency. Her excellency, yeah. her deepness, her wowness. Oh my God. Her writerly amazingness. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. This is not about the book, but it's about a book. We read that you were really into the Ferrante books while you were taking yes. some time off. So we were wondering... Who is your Leela? Probably my 
uh, oldest friend. We became best friends in sixth grade. Her name is Betsy. And she and I have been through all of the ups and downs of our lives together. And she's smart and loving and supportive uh, and never thrown my doll into a grate. I mean, she's really (laughs) terrific. So probably I have great friends. I'm blessed by really good girlfriends, but she's the one that goes the farthest back and is still so much a part of my life. (laughs) So you mentioned reading the news and I, I know that you have said that much of your speculative fiction is drawn from real events in history, or you, you, you've made that well, rule for yourself. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't put things in that, in Handmaid's Tale, I didn't put anything in that hadn't happened mm-hmm. or that couldn't happen given the technology. In Oryx and Crake, I didn't put anything in um, that wasn't already being worked on. Right. Um, in Heart Goes Last... Same thing. Mm-hmm. They're working on it, <laughs> including and the baby's blood, which is bad news for babies. So do you read a lot of science news, or how do you... I read, I read from time to time, I read quite a lot of science news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because people know I'm interested in these things, any time there's an advance in lab meat, I'm the first to hear because somebody will, <laughs> somebody will send it to me on Twitter or, oh, oh, here come the sex robots. I hear about those. Uh, they're certainly making improvements in them. The first models were quite clunky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me you don't have, maybe you do have a sex robot. I do not have okay. a sex robot, <laughs> and, uh, nor am I one. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, but I get messages from them. Oh, yeah? I do, yeah. Uh, they've kind of backed off. I guess they realize I'm I'm the wrong person to be on their sex bot uh, Twitter feeds. But I I was getting for a while some messages from them that uh, thought that I was a man oh. and uh, purported to be young ladies interested in having sex with me. Did you reply? No, <laughs> I did not. So, There's no so, point trolling the sex robots. <laughs> <laughs> Far too busy for that. I'm Ellen Pau. I am the co-founder and CEO of a nonprofit called Project Include. You know, in the beginning, you could just power through stuff, and it's and you explain it as, oh, that's just one bad actor. That's one person who's does not get it and wants to have those all male dinners or wants to, you know, ask me to go get cookies, and they're just kind of clueless. But it's something that just small, and I'll just keep moving forward. And then you get to a point where you realize. Wow, it's it's a lot of people. It's not just one, and it's not just happening to me. It's happening to yeah. all the women, or all the people of color, or all the women of color. And we can't get ahead. And that's what happened when I was at Kleiner. I realized, you know, we all did not get promoted in that one round, and all almost all the men got promoted. So the women didn't get promoted. The men got promoted. And if you looked at the women's investments, one of the other partners had taken the time to do the analysis. The women had much better investments than the men. Venture capital should take a huge chunk of the responsibility for how this is working, not just because their own diversity numbers are so dismal, but also because some of the most egregious like claims of harassment that have come out lately are, you know, like that that also lays at their feet. But they are the ones that a lot of times like are responsible for agenda setting. And do you have anything to say about that? 
it, at the end of the day, it's what, what, what do you track and measure? And they're not tracking diversity statistics. They're not tracking whether people are getting harassed or whether there are complaints at their portfolio companies. They don't want to know. So they want to live in this world where they have these great conversations about growth and hockey sticks and, you know, um, rocket ships. <laughs> and they don't really, and unicorns, but they don't want to talk about like, here are the hard problems and let me help you fix them so that they don't compound and continue into the future. And I think some of the hardest problems are around harassment and discrimination. But as you said, their hands are not clean. So I, you know, I, I don't have a ton of hope for venture capitalists. I focus on, like Project Include, we focus on CEOs because we think we've seen some who are really interested in inclusion and really want to do the hard work. We've seen that they can have a huge influence on their companies. And it's an area where venture capitalists have not you know, made it much motion or anything. And in that vacuum, they can, the CEOs have a lot of ability to do whatever they want. So we're hopeful that CEOs will take charge and really put the work into building inclusion into their cultures early. So as they scale, it grows with them. And I, I know Google has had a ton of trouble. And I think it's because they started focusing on it too late. And once you get to be, you know, what Erica Baker calls that tinkership, yeah. it's really hard to move more than one or two degrees. But as a small early stage startup, you bring in, um, you make your team diverse from the very beginning and you make sure that your policies are inclusive and you're constantly looking at it. Hopefully yeah. you can be like a new kind of tinkership that actually works. Yeah, we had some like great, great, great people on the show that we admire. We also did some like episodes that were more, uh, you know, like less us chatting and doing a little bit more concentrating on topics so I you mean reporting you did sure. some reporting this year you did oh, you should own it <laughs> <laughs> you, you totally did we both did intrepid podcast reporter Aminati So I mean 100% I'm gonna make you a little desk plate that says that yes <laughs> um, well listen I am our nation's foremost pelvic reporter I will claim that Oh my God, our pelvic correspondent for now and for always, you did some incredible interviews with experts about like that region of the body and what people who have pelvises need to know about it. Oh my God, so small, so powerful. My name is Laura Tadaro and I am a certified nurse midwife. For me personally, that means that I care for pregnant and not pregnant patients in a community clinic, and then I also deliver babies at our county hospital. It had never kind of occurred to me that if you were not pregnant or planning on being pregnant, that, um, you know, like you could be in business with a midwife. Totally. You know, I care for you know, young women who are coming for birth control counseling or STD testing or today was kind of a typical day, actually, where I saw someone who was 36 weeks pregnant and getting her ready for the delivery. Then I had someone for a pap. Then I had someone who came in for STD testing, someone for birth control, and then a woman coming for a breast exam and needing a, a mammogram. The whole gamut. The whole spectrum. That's great. Yeah. And you also said that you are trained specifically in performing gentle pelvic exams, especially yep. for women who have a history of sexual or reproductive trauma. For sure. Yeah. In my clinic, Unfortunately, but this is actually true in most settings, I have a lot of patients who have had either sexual or reproductive trauma, and it's really of utmost concern that we care for them in a way that feels respectful and that honors their autonomy. 
And I would say that that's one of the like core practices of midwifery is that we're treating the whole woman. And so that's going to include all of her experiences up until the point that we see her. And some of that might mean actually that I limit the amount of exams that I do. Like I actually had a patient who came to me with concerns about vaginal discharge. It looks like, you know, she might've had some kind of vaginal infection going on, but she couldn't tolerate a telescope exam because of um, sexual violence that she's had in her life. And so we didn't do one. Like I, I diagnosed her based on symptoms and a sample that I could get without doing a speculum exam. My name is Dana Tausig. I am a physical therapist and I work with um, general outpatient orthopedic problems, but I also specialize in pelvic health. Why would a human, what is like the spectrum of pain that you have to be on to go to your kind of doctor? In the physical therapy perspective, we focus on function kind of above all else. So in all honesty, part of my job, both when we're focusing on the pelvis and when we're not focusing on the pelvis, is telling people that pain is a part of life. Um, so there is some amount of bodily pain that is somewhat expected. But when it starts to interfere with your function in life, meaning your ability to do the things you love to do, to you know participate fully with your friends and your lovers, to do things joyfully, then then it's a problem that you should be reaching out to someone about. So this is stuff like bladder pain, endometriosis pain, any kind of like urinary or like fecal leakage and yes. like in yes. that so general we, area. Pretty much. We pretty much can broadly categorize them into any pain that has to do with the pelvis. So yeah, bladder, pain of the vulva, so kind of external what people would call vaginal pain or internal vaginal pain, tailbone pain, perineal pain. Those are all distinct things. And then on the other side of the broad stroke, broad stroke spectrum, we have the incontinence type problems as well. So one of the types of urinary leakage or fecal leakage, those, yeah, those all fall into the realm of things that people might see us for. Um, I know this, but for our listeners, what is kind of like a typical, you know, like visit look like when you go in, depending on the kind of pain that you have, I guess? Yeah. And it will, it will vary certainly depending on the patient. And it will also vary to some extent depending on the provider. And that's, it's a small variance. There are certainly some things that we are all expecting to do, but Typically, with most physical therapy, when you first walk in, you're going to talk to your therapist for a while and get, we want to get in a, get a sense of what you're coming in for, what your functional problems are, meaning, you know, how it's affecting you in daily life. Sometimes with a pelvic problem, you'll be asked to fill out a bladder or bowel diary ahead of time because that also gives us a sense of how your muscles are functioning down there. And we'll kind of talk about all that stuff to start. So sometimes I end up talking to people for 15 minutes. Sometimes we end up talking for 45 minutes, depending on how long the story is. We'll ask about sexual activity and hopefully you'll also be asked about any history of sexual trauma, anything that we need to be aware of moving forward. And then once we've kind of wrapped up the basics of what we're going to talk about at that first appointment, we move on to a physical exam. What I would will do next is a more general physical exam to start. So we look at posture, generally look at leg strength. We generally check out the abdomen for any scars, probably feel at your belly, 
look at how you're breathing, which you mentioned at some point in the past couple of weeks is a thing for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, who knew? Like if your pain is so sharp that you can't breathe, you should probably get off like WebMD and go to the doctor. (laughs) Right. So that's a life lesson, I guess. It's a process. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning to listen to my body. But also just how you breathe can affect how your pelvic floor is functioning as well. So it can kind of be a little bit of a vicious cycle. So we look at breathing and then once we get through all that general stuff, depending on if the patient is up for it, we'll do an internal exam. And internal exams will be either vaginal or rectal, depending on what's going to be more pertinent for the problem. You know, everything we do is really step by step and it's patient consent every step of the way. So we'll both look at and palpate, so touch for any painful spots externally to start. So pressing around the vulva, seeing if there are any particularly tender points there, that can cue us into if there's something going on internally um, and then potentially moving on to an internal exam. Our internal exams that everyone should should realize, we don't use speculum. So, well, I don't, you may have had one that did. And generally our, the training that I went through is we generally don't because by and large, what we're looking for is how, how the muscles feel both when they're contracting and when they're resting, the visual aspect of what is going on internally is not as critical for what we're addressing in general, people have been screened by a gynecologist before they've come to me anyway. So anything that needs to be assessed with a speculum has already been assessed. I really enjoyed like all of the interviews that we did around running for office. You know, I think it was uh, everything from like candidates that we interviewed, like people who like won big and some people who will be running again. And also like talking to politicians, you know, like Kirsten Gillibrand and um, Catherine Clark, who like they've done the hard work of like running and winning and are representing people and representing our ideals in Congress. Like that's really awesome. If we had 51% of women in Congress, we certainly would have national pay leave by now. Uh, we certainly wouldn't be debating whether women should have access to contraception. And I think we'd have done a lot more about sexual violence. And so we just have to keep fighting. And for all your listeners, really encouraging someone you know and love to run. And if none of them will run, then you need to run. You just have to oh, I'm say, <laughs> I need to run and I'm going to run and I'm going to be heard on this issue or that issue. And it matters. And if we do it, if we all do it, if we all take responsibility for our own communities, it will change everything. Totally. And one of the things that I, um, you know, we obviously every time we featured um, amazing people who are running or who have run and won, we got dozens and dozens of emails from listeners who were like, oh my God, and there's this woman you should know about in my area, or there's this person I've been donating to. And 
all of that has been great. And I think that like, um, you know, this is a, this is one hour once a week. And like, one of the things that like brings me a lot of joy is that like, we don't have time to talk about all of the incredible people who are running for office for the first time, for the second time, for the third time, you know, and who are like out there, like doing the good work in advance of the midterms, which we know are coming up next year. And in advance of like 2020, which, you know, some people are seeing is like the next election. It's definitely not. We've gotten so many incredible recommendations through the CYG Runs hashtag and just in emails that listeners have sent us about incredible candidates that are running in all different types of races around the country. If you don't get the bleed, well, first of all, get the bleed, our monthly email newsletter. But if you don't, you might have missed a really incredible story about a woman who ran for the first time in 2016 for the state legislature in Kansas and some of the incredible change she was able to make in a really short time. And so you can find that on our archive on our website. So I won't spoiler alert it, but for future reference, get the bleed. Lots of great stories have come from that hashtag and from your emails. And we are super pumped about all these women running. Yeah. So stay tuned also for announcements about how we can keep supporting people who are running. Keep using the CYG runs hashtag Like, I'm super excited about this. Yeah, we're in this for the long haul, for sure. So we've got some stories of women who are doing it. That's right. Who's the first person that we interviewed, Anne? We together talked to Laura Mosier, who at the time we chatted with her was in Brooklyn for an event, getting the word out about her campaign, but is running for Congress in the 7th District of Texas, which is basically Houston, correct? That is Houston. It's also my adopted district now. Also, I think you're failing to mention in that event that we saw Laura was her first ever like political event. Oh my God, yeah. So it was amazing to see in action what it looks like when uh, someone who is very engaged politically as a citizen starts to make the transition to becoming um, a politician. It was amazing. It was. It was really cool to hear somebody who, you know, like knows their shit, but also like is not a snake oil peddler who is just a regular person. Sounds like your friends like be really honest about what they know and what they don't know and what their ambition is. And, uh, you know, but also like care enough about where they're from to leave where they currently live and like go home to change where they're from. Yeah. And I was really struck listening to her. Um at that event, um, but also in our interview about how there's a contrived folksiness that a lot of politicians have when like, let's be real, they've been like running for office since they were 12. And they're like, well, I don't know, I'm just an outsider at a certain point when they try to pitch themselves. But like, what I love about her story is that she's like, no, I'm like, I'm a really competent professional. I'm really engaged in politics. I'm not some wide eyed outsider but also this is like a new skill set for me it's like a new type of job yeah and so listen to our interview with laura right now my name is laura moser i'm a candidate for congress in the texas 7th i just arrived in brooklyn this afternoon uh went to atlantic avenue for a shawarma and then tried to take a nap oh thank you so much for giving us your time can you tell me a little bit more about the texas district that you're running in? Like, what's special about it? What are the kind of the challenges and what makes you the person to run in this district? Sure. That's a lot. That's a lot of uh, post-snap questions. The Texas 7th is the district where I grew up and went to school where my grandfather arrived as a refugee from Nazi Germany in 1942. And we've been there ever 
since it is George H.W. Bush's congressional district that he represented in 1966, and it has never been held by a Democrat since then. However, it is also the district that swung the widest from 2012 to 2016 and that Romney carried it by 20 points and Hillary won it in 2016. So... It's a very vulnerable district for Republicans, however much they've tried to protect it. Um, I think I'm the best person to represent it because after the election, I started this activism organization called Daily Action. And I just think that our country needs more kind of citizens to take charge. I have a record of getting things done. I love the district. I love Houston. As we've discussed, it's the most diverse city in the country. People don't know that who don't live there. But there's actually a lot of really cool people all over Houston who are not on the Trump train. I'm one of them, both cool and not pro-Trump. Women are out here running and winning. Right. Like freedom is work and we're all working on it together. So that's been uh, that's been like really encouraging to see. And also, you know, like my favorite emails that we get are all the ones like where somebody's like, hey, like, I might not be running for office or whatever, but like here are all the ways I've encouraged this other woman in my network too. And I'm like, yeah, like that's important as well. Yeah, I love it. And I think we're definitely going to keep keep talking about this and keep keep playing the long game. That's like, that's really the only game we play. I know. My other favorite thing that we did in 2017 was introduce some guest hosts. We have the amazing ladies from She's All Fat on here. Sophie. I'm April, and this is She's All Fat, the podcast for body positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. Body positivity is about taking images and discussions and showing up for fat bodies and other marginalized bodies as a way to change the public discussion about those bodies and try to fight for justice for those bodies. And even though it seems like with popular culture and journalism, this idea is brand new, it's not new, is it? No, it's not new. It developed from specifically fat liberation movements in the 1970s. There were a lot of groups like the Fat Underground or other smaller collectives in Los Angeles, New York, and San Francisco that did things like create zines and have meetups. Then it moved on in the 90s to groups like The Body Positive, which is still a website you can go look at. They're a group. They do like workshops and and speaking things. And now it's trickled down to kind of more individual level grassroots um, work on blogs and tumblers and Instagram accounts, which is probably how most of the listeners of today's podcast have heard about body positivity. Totally. So if you've ever used the hashtag F your beauty standards... 
What else are the good ones? Like there's like all bodies are good bodies. There's like even all the curvy ones, I think, mm-hmm. like basically come from this. It's like hashtag curvy cutie or like yeah. hashtag bikini body. If you whatever. ever saw a chubby girl on Instagram in a bikini <laughs> and she's like hashtag I love myself. It's from this. Yes. <laughs> so April, tell me more about body positivity. What are the goals of body positivity? Okay, there are a lot of goals, a lot of hotly contested goals, but the main ones that most people tend to agree with is that, number one, about disrupting the status quo, so about this idea that a thin, white, cis, Aryan body is no longer the goal for everyone. There could be a whole bunch of different types of bodies, and they're all equally chill. We had the amazing, amazing ladies from Good Muslim, Bad Muslims, and our friends Lindsay and Bobby from Who Weekly... Welcome to a conversation with Taz and Zara of Good Muslim, Bad Muslim podcast. Yeah, and this month doing the show at Shangri-La Live, it was particularly interesting because there was this way that like since we were there to record our live podcast, it was like we were also then there. It felt like for some audience members there, the white audience members in particular, we were also there to sort of like answer all questions as an exhibit of Muslim women. Yeah, it felt like we were in an art museum. This white woman came up to me after the show and during the show, and you'll hear this on our episode of Good Muslim, Bad Muslim for the month of August, actually, I talk about this like rash that I got on my arm that I had to go to urgent care for. And it was like one of those rashes where you're like, is this? a emergency room rash or just like a bad rash. And I actually went in and they were like, oh yeah, this is a total emergency. And I got two penicillin shots and it was like this big deal. And I talk about it and the story and the hot doctor involved. And after the episode, this woman walked up to me, this white woman, like maybe fifties. And she says, I'm so glad that you got your arm taken care of because my husband lost his leg. Can I wear hijab? Why can't I wear hijab? So she just went straight from one into the other question. Like, it's like, no, no stopping. Boom. Just like no pot. And I was like, um, I'm sorry, what? Like, you didn't have time to recover from the fact that her husband lost a leg from the same thing that you're suffering from. And then all of a sudden you have to talk about hijabs. On behalf of all Muslims. And I made the joke. I was like, oh, you mean, can you wear hijab? Like, you're asking me, like, as a Muslim woman and speaking on behalf of all Muslims. And she said, well, yes. Welcome to a very special Call Your Girlfriend edition of Weekly, the podcast where you'll learn everything you know about the celebrities you don't. I'm Lindsay Weber. I'm Bobby Finger. You might recognize us from past episodes of Call Your Girlfriend, or if we're so lucky that you happen to also listen to our podcast, Who Weekly, you might know us as the podcast that also has Amina on, a segment we like to call Who Dat. Who Weekly is a podcast about not thems, as in the person you see on the cover of a magazine and say, oh, them. They're about the people you see on the cover of magazines and on your headlines and all your blogs like Just Jared or E! News, where you go, who's that? I don't know who that is. Usually that person is Julianne Huff or Rita Ora, but sometimes it's someone else. So we talk about all those people every week because fortunately for our business, there's a new indecipherable new person in Hollywood every single week. Um, And that's what we talk about in our podcast. Fortunately for the business of Us Weekly, In Touch Magazine, Star Magazine, People Magazine, and the like. Fortunately for an entire industry, there's always someone on the come up. 
Whether or not they become thems is not up to us, but we just help explain who these people are that you are inundated with every day of your life if you were ever on the internet. If you call off a divorce, it means you're still together. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And she's doing great. I mean, that's what she said. She's doing great. She's doing great. I'm doing great. And we feel happy for Naya Rivera, I guess. I mean, I'm happy for her because while she was uh, on hiatus from her husband that she called off the divorce with, she dated David Spade briefly. So I think she maybe said to herself, hmm, maybe I should call off the divorce. (laughs) How did I forget that little flash in the pan romance? Weren't those photos a shock? I mean, those photos immediately... Remember Jessica Lowndes and John Lovitz, his fake relationship? I'll never forget it. Immediately after seeing those photos, I was like, oh, this is fake. Naya Rivera is releasing a song. She's starring in a movie with David Spade. But no, it was real. It was real. It wasn't fake. Us Weekly will never let you forget that that happened because it's literally their kicker. The last sentence in this article is, during her time apart from Dorsey, the step-up high water star briefly dated comedian David Spade. (laughs) Rude on so many levels, that sentence, if you read it a few times, which I have they split in June. It seems like Naya Rivera has come to her senses. I mean... And she's happy. She's doing good. Yeah, she's doing good. She's doing good. You know, sometimes <laughs> it just takes a brief fling with David Spade to put your entire life into perspective. That's so true. If we could all just go on brief flings with David Spade, you know, just 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 to figure it out. If you're ever feeling down, see if you can get a date with David Spade and you'll feel so much better about yourself. And then you'll stop dating David Spade. Or maybe or maybe at some point, maybe someone's just going to fall for David Spade and they're going to realize their entire life before dating David Spade was a lie and that all they've ever wanted was David Spade. I like it that we can give a platform to podcasts that we care about. Also, it gives us uh, some time off, which honestly was my scam all along. And... (laughs) Like our community is like so is like so tight knit. I want people to know like all of the things that we like. And it just so happens that the Venn diagram is like very strong here. Totally. And I think about both in terms of our pals who guest hosted for us so we could take a little vacation, but also in terms of some of the guests that we've had on and interviewed. Like whenever I see articles that like show a breakdown of how few women and people of color are quoted as expert sources or like when I see like a future of podcasting, whatever that like only features white dudes who used to work for Obama. Like, you know what I mean? When I'm like, Oh wow. Like our world is very rich and like these people are all here. And um, it feels very good to be able to like point to a body of work from the past year where we're like, actually these are all the people we are happy to be doing this alongside. You know what I mean? And just like kind of collecting them in one, one place and saying that like, we are not like outliers. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting to me, like how personal this moment feels for a lot of people when it's actually like very small, it's definitely like prominent people in like media and food. And we still haven't gotten to the realness of like, this is actually how work is just for regular people, not people with like big microphones all the time. And hopefully like that's the direction that we're moving in in 2018. And it's starting to happen. You know, I mean, recently there was a big report about harassment at Ford assembly plants, you know, and I think that those stories where neither the people coming forward to tell their stories, nor the people who are accused of or charged with bad behavior are famous. Like that, that is like a real thing that I think is important toward having everyone recognize that this is systemic and it's not like one famous bullying outlier. It's systemic. So like, right. you know, maybe. And that the standard, yeah. the standard isn't what's the most horrendous assault that can happen to you at work. You know, because I think that the way that a lot of the media stories are framed is that like, oh, my God, look at how monstrous this person can be. And it's like Mm -hmm. actually like, 
we've all had our monsters, like from the person who like grabbed your butt in the subway when you were 15 that you never saw to the person at work who made you feel like you didn't belong there. All of those, you know, like for women, like we don't put them on a spectrum of like, ugh, this is the one that broke my spirit. It's like, no, no, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Right. And I, I, I have also started to see a few things that involve more behind the scenes due diligence when it comes to taking behavior like this seriously. Like I was I was just reading about, you know, a startup dude who didn't get funding because people did their due diligence and found that women who had worked with him had had terrible experiences. And that's different than being publicly held up as a monster who, quote, like deserves to be fired. But that's like people privately taking this behavior into account when they make decisions about who gets to accrue more power. And like those things, which are never going to be like blaring front page headlines, give me some hope too about like things progressing. Yeah. And I think like the the thing that's been the most encouraging to me in the last weeks of this is friend of the podcast, Rebecca Traster and uh, a bunch of other people have started to write really more about how it's not about sex. It's really about work for women, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that like framing it that way is that like literally like all women want is to show up at work and be able to do their best work. And here's what we're losing from this. I hope that like that gets burned into the lizard brains of everyone, that it's not about these like titillating like sex stories and like who's marrying who at work and whatever, you know, Ugh, lizard brain is truly the final frontier, <laughs> like changing lizard brains. <laughs> lizard brain is the final frontier. Listen, I was confronted with my own lizard brain like very recently where I had like uh, four flights in a row where I had uh, women captains mm-hmm. on the plane. And like one of those flights had like terrible turbulence. And, and you know me, you like know me on planes it was like it was all freaking out oh i was freaking (laughs) out because it was one of those things that as soon as we took off she said she's like i'm so sorry but the next three hours are gonna be like this and it was like bad like people were busting out the like puke bags like it was pretty bad and i realized like at some point where she's like reassuring us like every like couple minutes she would check in or whatever where i was like wow this is a new experience for me, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. like reconciling this thing. And she was this very young woman, definitely like sounded like a millennial, you know, like all of the, like, I was like, I would love to meet you at the grocery store and not in this plane that's probably going to crash. And, and the woman next to me, like turned to me and said, she goes, I've never heard a woman captain take charge before. And I was like, me neither. And we sat there and we're like, God, the lizard brain is very powerful. Wow. I know, but she got us home clear and sound. Thanks, Captain Stephanie from Delta. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Women captains forever in every industry in 2018. I know, but then the rest of the flight, the rest of my trip was like that. It's like I had all women captains, like, on these three random flights. It was, like, very delightful. Truly blessed. I know. More women should fly planes. Mm, Yes. Um, Anyway, slight detour into my own lizard brain face. Uh, but yeah, like that's it. Gina, Gina, thanks for making this like clip reel of 2017, the year that was good riddance 2017. (laughs) I know. What if Gina's clip reel is literally every time that we mess up like the top of the show? (laughs) Oh my God, Gina, are you going to do a blooper reel? (laughs) (laughs) Because that's all I think about every time I'm like, this fool is like storing all of this terrible stuff. And it's like all going to come out about how I literally can't say like, hello, this is call your girlfriend. And here is my name. Sometime we're going to cut one too many Squarespace ads. And Gina's going to call our bluff and make that episode. (laughs) I'm telling you 52 weeks in a row of incompetence, but she makes us look amazing. It's true. Ugh. love you, Gina. Goodbye. 2017. Uh, and 
to all of our listeners, like, thanks for hanging in with us and just like being pals. It's been fun. Yes. You're the best. We have the best listeners. We really do. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kenesha Sneed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delbeck. See you on the internet in 2018. (laughs) See you on the internet. I'm Hillary Clinton. See you on the internet.